You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the RSA Conference podcast. This is Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation for RSA Conference. And I'm happy to be joined today by two GDPR experts and past RSA Conference speakers, Bree Fowler and John Elliott. Bree and John, please introduce yourselves to our listeners. Hi, my name is Bree Fowler, and I am a cybersecurity and privacy editor for Consumer Reports. Yeah, and my name is John Elliott. I'm a data protection specialist, and I've worked in information security and in data protection variously. Um, and currently, I work as head of information security for a large organization in Europe. Excellent. Thank you both for being here with us today. GDPR has filled the headlines and filled all of our inboxes in different ways. And we're going to talk today about why, how we should be reacting and such. And Bree, I'm going to direct the first question to you. GDPR, as we all know, is an EU regulation, but its trickle effect is being felt globally, particularly with an explosion of update your privacy now, um, you know, check this, send this in, that we're all receiving no matter where we live. What guidance would you give to the average consumer in this post-GDPR world? Well, I think it's tough, but uh, basically the best advice is to actually read those privacy policies. I mean, the point of GDPR is to give transparency and to let people know, you know, what data is being collected and who it's going to, but that doesn't do you any good if you actually don't pay attention to that. So actually read what's being sent to us. That's what you're saying. The fine print, the fine print makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we all love those, you know, a thousand page privacy statements that we can get sometimes, but it's really a chore that people should make a point of actually doing. And, you know, with the visibility that's come with GDPR, a lot of these statements have gotten shorter and more concise and are, you know, they're starting to be written in more plain layman's terms than they used to be. So, you know, there's really no excuse for not doing that. Good guidance, yeah, that breaking it into regular English versus uh, the legalese. So, John, with your enterprise hat on, so Bree just articulated what we as the consumer should be thinking and doing. Let's look at the enterprise. Help us think about that from that perspective where organizations are under a lot of pressure, very real financial consequences if they're found to be noncompliant. How's the enterprise reacting? What should they be doing? Well, I think the enterprises reacted once, and when GDPR came out, lots of enterprises went to their lawyers and said, gosh, this GDPR thing is coming. Can you write us a privacy policy? So if you look (laughs) at lots of websites, they're written in pretty much legalese. Now, some organizations have gone steps further. The organization I work for, we did a video that explains how we use people's data, and we wrote a really condensed privacy policy, and then our lawyers wrote a very long privacy policy to follow it. And I think what we have to realize with GDPR is that we're at the beginning of a very long journey. So currently, a lot of privacy policies are 100, I mean, not 100 pages, but very long. And they are, some of them are pretty, even if you're in the business, you can't really understand what will happen to your data. The regulator is not happy with this. So the regulator is going back to a lot of companies saying, I looked at your privacy policy. It's not great. Can you make it better? Can you make it actually comply with what the requirements of the law say? And so we will see over time better privacy policies. And I'd encourage people who read privacy policies and they go, I I literally can't work out what you're going to do with my data, to actually feed that back to a regulator, to feed it back 
to the Information Commissioner in the UK, to the Canal in France, and say, I don't understand this privacy policy. You know, the big GDPR fine that we're all talking about is the 50 million euros to Google, and that's about a lack of transparency about what Google will do with your data. Interesting. So Bree just articulated that. Make sure you read it. They're getting easier to read. You're saying, so this, this is a cycle here. So if we do what Bree's telling us to do, we do what you're telling us to do, which is feedback, hopefully a year, two years, three years down the road, we're going to be seeing more clearly transparent, understandable, privacy-first kinds of policies? Absolutely. We are just at the beginning now where regulators are looking at privacy policies. You've also got civil society groups like um, None of Your Business in Austria and Privacy International in Europe taking action against companies, reporting them to regulators. And so my message to any enterprise that thinks it's got a good legally privacy policy is to is to go and test that. Test that with humans. Test that in the same way as you test out your user interface or your user experience and say, does this privacy policy make sense to you? And if it doesn't, go and edit it. Go and edit it so a human can read it. I mean, it, it, it's tough because businesses and consumers have conflicting interests at times. I mean, businesses, the point of the privacy policy is to kind of, you know, cover them from a legal standpoint. And in doing that, you know, you can't specifically list every single kind of circumstance. Um, it's very hard to be specific and, and cover all your bases. So, you know, they'll make grand statements and things like that to reserve the right to use data in a certain way or collect it in a certain way. They may or may not be doing that. Yeah. So it's hard for consumers to go and, and look at these policies and figure out exactly what a company is doing a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, I've recently seen regulatory letters that other people have received that says that, for instance, what do you mean you may do this with the person's data? Are you going to? Are you not going to? And in what circumstances may you? So we all use weasel words like we may do this with your data. I mean, that's a very common thing in a privacy policy. But I know in the UK, the regulators are going after companies saying, you need to be more precise about that. In what circumstances would you use the data for that? Interesting. So in the spirit of weasel words, appropriate. Um, I know this is something you're very, very passionate about because in GDPR, that word appropriate is used over and over and over. And I know you you have a great session that you have done at RSA conference. It's recorded. It's available for our listeners to go back to, and it's a really good one. Help me understand why is appropriate so core to GDPR? What does it mean? To any non-European listeners, it's a very strange way that Europeans write law because uh, often people would like prescriptive laws that say do this or do that or do the other. But telling a small organization that processes a little amount of personal data, maybe just a marketing database in a business-to-business environment, compared to a hospital or an insurance company or a bank, they're all very different organizations. And so what the law says is, look, you as a grown-up organization are responsible for how you look after the data that relates to humans. And what would happen to those humans if you had a breach of confidentiality, integrity, or availability of that data? You need to work out the impact on the humans, which is very different, Britta and Bree, in terms of what we normally do as an organization. Organizations usually focus on impact to the organization. But GDPR says, no, look at the impact at the human level and then work out 
what you would want to do to protect that data from that impact happening and take appropriate measures. And unlike, say, PCI DSS, which is just a general security standard, it says you have to base it on risk. So the organization's first responsibility is to assess that risk and then work out what mitigants there would be against that risk. Guy, you know, it's, it's interesting. Wheel, wheels are turning in my head. I, I think about the relationship between security and compliance and, and organizations that, you know, I, I guess it's, it's the whole GRC analogy of, you know, people starting with, okay, first we're going to deal with compliance because that's when fines come, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, now we're starting to look at things more from, uh, you know, governance across the organization. Oh, now it's, 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 it's the risk lovers. And then privacy. There, there's, there's that yin and yang between security and privacy. And is this a, is this, we're doing it because it's compliance reasons or we're doing it because this really is what's best for people, which it feels like what you're saying is when we get to that, that human level, when we get to engaging with consumers as people and what's best for people and understanding and such, that's when we're really going to be at Nirvana. That's always been the conundrum with security. And uh, yeah. when it comes to cybersecurity, I mean, you compliance does not equal security. I mean, how many companies have had data breaches and been compliant with things like PCI and with, you know, a financial regulations in the United States? It, it happens all the time. I mean, companies strive for compliance because they don't want to get fined. But, you know, is that really doing enough to protect consumers and to protect the company itself? Yeah, it's interesting, and how this evolves is going to be very interesting. So, so Bree, this shadow of GDPR is really, really, really long. And as you noted earlier, there's growing interest in understanding in what is exactly, air quote, privacy. Um, we've seen some states now in the U.S. jumping into the privacy regulation space, um, notably California with the California Consumer Protection Act which will take effect sometime in 2020. There's a lot of content in and around that on the RSA conference site that our listeners can see based on the, the 2019 conference, and I expect even more of that going forward. Uh, we had a great seminar that IAPP put together specifically in and around that. Do you foresee something like GDPR getting passed in the U.S. at a federal level? I mean, I, I think that would be tough. I mean, Congress right now can't pass a lunch order. So it's fair, fair. It's kind of hard to get things through. I mean, in America, you have a different mentality. I think the mentality of people is changing where, you know, my mom, who has no concept of cybersecurity or digital privacy in a lot of ways, was asking me about Facebook and asking me about Cambridge Analytica and how that affects her. People are starting to grasp the concepts of data mining and you know, that their data is theirs and that they should have some kind of ownership or some kind of rights when it comes to that. But at the same time, you know, you also have issues with First Amendment rights and the right to be forgotten kind of would trample on that. So, I mean, it's hard to kind of reconcile the independent spirit of America in a lot of ways and, you know, just letting businesses do what they want in a lot of cases um, with, you know, protecting privacy rights. I, I think it's a lot tougher to do that here than it is to do that in Europe. Interesting. So, yeah, John, John, take me through, if you don't mind being put on the spot here, but you've got the right accent to be answering this one. Europe is always seen as more privacy first. Europe's always been more sensitive, at least from my perspective, to that. 
What did GDPR grow out of? Why out of Europe? Well, I think you have to look at a lot of European history to work out why Europeans are, are very privacy conscious. What came out of the Second World War was the European Convention on Human Rights that listed the rights that everyone has that, I'm going to pinch a word from America, but are inalienable, but they're inalienable because you're a human, not because you're a citizen of a particular country, which is a very big distinction, I think, between the way that either America or Europe looks at, at rights. And so we've, we've got those human rights that really came out of the terror of the Second World War. And one of those rights is the right to family life and privacy, effectively. And then that was enshrined by, I don't want this to sound like a history lesson, so I'll go really quickly. That was enshrined no, I love by, it. It's fascinating. That was, that, that was enshrined by the Council of Europe, uh, Convention 108 on data protection, effectively, which then led into the data protection laws being passed in Europe. So we see privacy in Europe stemming from that European Convention on Human Rights, from Article 8 there, that says basically the right to privacy is a fundamental human right. And, it, and, and if you want to think about why, because it underpins many other fundamental human rights, such as the right to have freedom of religion, because if someone's snooping on you or, or looking at what you're saying, you don't have freedom of religion, you don't have freedom of thought, you don't have uh, freedom of y your political views, because if, if the state or other people are tracking those things, you know, it has that chilling effect. So the privacy to us is, is, is a right rather than just a legal construct. What I like with your approach to everything is looking at the specific words. I've heard you talk about in GDPR, you know, from an RSA conference lens, we always look security, 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 security. Yeah. Yet so much of GDPR has nothing to do with security. Just, just one article, Article 32 is about security. But so much of GDPR is actually, I mean, you, you talk about this, this, this tension between security and privacy. Anyone in information security will love some of the principles of GDPR about privacy, which is number, you know, one of the things is data minimization. And any security professional will, will all agree that if you don't need the data, don't keep it, because then we don't have to secure it. And one of the fundamental principles of GDPR is data minimization. Don't keep personal data you don't need. Another fundamental principle is about data accuracy. Make sure you keep data up to date and accurate. Well, that's a core thing of integrity, isn't it? That's another way of saying integrity. So a lot of GDPR is aligned to security fundamentals. And that's the kind of stuff I think would transfer in the U.S. pretty well. I mean, a lot of the security aspects of GDPR are considered best practices for cybersecurity. I mean, data protection, data minimization, things like that. I mean, that I think would actually go over fairly well in the United States, which for what it's worth does have a history of privacy rights too. They're just going back to, you know, the Revolutionary War and search and seizure and the Fourth Amendment and things like that. Um, it, it's just a different perspective towards it. And I, I want to be very clear, I wasn't fundamentally criticizing that because, you know, the, 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 the torturous right, the right to be left alone really stems from fundamental U.S. case law. It's just we have a different approach to where it comes from. But I think we get to the same thing. I, I can never remember what the new abbreviation for the Californian Privacy Act is. But CCPA. That's the one. But that's got a lot of the same fundamental things as GDPR in it. And it's like, tell people what you're going to do with their data. Yeah. Yeah. Tell them, tell them, tell them again and make it clear. Um, that, at least that's what I'm hearing from Bree from the consumer standpoint, that that's what's really going to push us over the edge here. Right. And I, I think you do, you start to see 
companies doing that, especially tech companies, disclosing just the basic things. Like when you download an app from the Google Play Store, there are bullet points saying this app will access your contacts and your phone numbers and your, you know, search history. Um, you know, just basically letting people know in one little pop-up screen what exactly it's going to do. Now, you know, people will click through that without even thinking, but, you know, the, the responsibility transfers to them at that point. That's where GDPR takes things one step further. Because GDPR says, yeah, be transparent, but you have to have a reason for processing data, and it has to be necessary. So, you know, necessary is not always what we get with some of the privacy statements and, and pop-ups at the moment. It's, it's like, I would like all your contacts. It's not really necessary for the service, I presume. And we'll see that decreasing and decreasing. We'll see regulators and also, you know, consumer groups looking at that saying, but you don't need that data, so don't, don't take that data. That's really the difference that GDPR is making. But I guess you kind of have to look at what's necessary then. I mean, if your business model is built on targeted ads, like a lot of social media networks, I mean, that's necessary for your business model, but it might not be necessary to produce the product that you're giving consumers. And that's, I think, where we'll see some tension. And if we look at the action against Google in, in France, we will see that tension of saying, you can do that, but you have to only take what's necessary, not what's really desirable. And if you're taking what's really desirable, that has to be made really clear and then done absolutely on the basis of consent. And that's consent that's not just you saw it in terms of condition. So I say, as I said at the beginning, GDPR is a long game. It's not a quick game. I mean, lots of people ran into it last year, I know. Uh, at conference in 2018, GDPR was a hot topic. It's less of a hot topic in 2019, but it, but it's a long game that we're playing here. It's a long game to change the relationship between corporations and citizens' data. Interesting. Yeah, and it sounds like you know a part of it is is, is just good plain old data hygiene conversations, um, which we have many conversations in and around, and we'll continue to have many conversations in and around, and then there's this consumer layer. And then we're seeing additional, you know, it, it's not just U.S., Europe involved here. There's iterations going on, Asia Pacific and Japan, there's Australia, there's India, there's there's so many different ways that I think GDPR is just the tip of the iceberg for the conversation globally. So, Bree, mm-hmm. what would your big takeaway be for consumers? You've given us some good guidance. Pay attention. Read it. Um, John layered on that with, okay, and now that you've read it, give feedback back. What should consumers be doing? And, and let's, I'm going to make you look in your crystal ball. Today mm-hmm. and for the foreseeable future, what would your best guidance be from a consumer standpoint? I mean, I would love to see America pass something like GDPR, even if it were purely from security standards. Um, and that kind of perspective, it's incredibly hard <laughs> to get things like that done here. But, you know, a lot can happen from consumer pressure. Um, if you have an issue with, you know, the way social media is collecting your data, you know, maybe you should delete your account. Maybe you can move on to something else. Or at the very least, you know, voice your opposition to it. I mean, consumers have power when it comes to, you know, what they do and how they spend their money. And, you know, if if you're unhappy with something, you need to let people know about it. And, John, from the enterprise perspective, what's the big takeaway? 
I always have two takeaways, don't I? Because I know I will never have, you know, never comply that way. Um, first, <laughs> the, well, the first thing is, to, is, is that it's a long game, and you might have had a GDPR program, and everyone might have left your GDPR program. But you need to keep a focus on it. You need to keep making sure that you are, are keeping up with updating your privacy notice when you do new things with data, making sure you don't do things with data that you didn't tell people you were going to do with it, and keeping on that data minimization. So, so the second thing then is to embed GDPR into your change processes. So in a steady state, organizations would remain in, I hate to use the word compliant, but a compliant state. Changes, as we all know, is what can really affect an organization when people start doing new things and it's making sure that GDPR is embedded in that change process. Excellent. It almost reminds me of the DevSecOps movement and how different conversations had to happen amongst the developers with security people to get security built in from the beginning to make that make that a principle of thinking for the product developers from the beginning. Now we need to so maybe it's DevSec PrivOps, it's that privacy that's embedded in, and privacy not just from the products produced, but also the way organizations do business. Yeah, absolutely. In the organization I work in, you know, our first project screening form, where before someone kicks off a project, while they're thinking of kicking off a project, there's data protection, so GDPR things, and information security things right up front. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Um, as, as you insinuated, this is the beginning of a long journey. RSA Conference, it's interesting as it has evolved over the years, the different parties that have been involved in that conversation started with, you know, data encryption folks, and then there's business line managers and policy people and lawyers and privacy has become a very important part of the conversation. It's a bigger and bigger tent that we are involved with from an ecosystem um, with the security world. So appreciate both of you sharing your insight today. Um, more is yet to come. We will keep focused on this as it evolves. Certainly there's some good content that came out of RSA conference that is available here for folks to, to look at and refer to. We'll probably recast this conversation in about a year and see where we're at with GDPR at that point. So thanks, Bree and John, for taking time today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 